Welcome to the New Books Network. I make a toast. Uh, not for me, it's too early. Nay, it's never too late. <laughs> so this is to tonight, the big night, when I bring you together my old friend, Louis Prima, with my two new friends. You guys are simply the best. Salute. Hey. Salute, salute. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. The premise of the show is that Mike and I watch movies separately, but we don't talk about them until we record the podcast. So we don't know what the other guy is going to say, or even sometimes what we're going to say. Today, we're doing Big Night, the 1996 film written by Stanley Tucci and Joseph Trapiano, directed by Stanley Tucci and Campbell Scott, who, of course, we love as the victim in The Spanish Prisoner, and also who plays the car dealer here. Interesting that there's two directors. The rule on our show is that if one guy picks the movie, the other guy gets to go first and give his overall take. So I have no idea what Mike is about to say about this movie. I think you just watched it like last night, correct? Mm-hmm. Good. So Mike, overall take on Big Night, go. What? Uh, these are just such great performances. This, but this movie really does. Um, it's kind of the anti 15 minute film fanatics movie in that it does totally work on paper. I would read the script of this movie and it would and it totally works. But Oh my goodness, is Tony Shalhoub good? Did you know Tony Shalhoub was that good? Yes, I did. Only only because I had seen Big Night a bunch of times earlier. I, yes. d- I did not. To me, he's a quirky television actor from a show that I didn't watch, you know, when I was a teenager. Monk. But I, I had no idea that he was that he could take over a scene in that way. And he does he does something that's very that's very special that I think you need to be able to do to be a successful film actor, which is that he acts without speaking. He controls scenes with his face. He controls scenes with his gestures. He controls scenes with his presence. I mean, this, uh, uh, you know, they make the timpani, which I'm sure you'll, you know, you talk about later. But um, in, a, in a way, I, I think the, a lot of the performances are the timpani. It's just everything, every special performance that you could possibly want packed into a special crust. Isabella Rossellini shows up. Just be, people show up and you're like, oh, she's in this movie. Oh, he's in this movie. And uh, overall, I mean, like this is this is if you could special order me a movie exactly the length of movie that I want. It gets in. It tells you what the problem is. It starts running. And I I know that it's an hour 40 because I had the Amazon thing. So I know like exactly how long it is, Uh, but it didn't feel like it. It felt like it was an hour, maybe. Yeah, maybe. It's great because you're with a lot of these people. So it's funny what you said about the performers is like, yeah, the movie's about food, but it's also about what food does to people. So my overall take watching it again is that as as I'm sure you'll agree with me, foodies, we talk about foodies, right? Foodies can be unbelievably irritating people in real life, right? I think they're kind of like audiophiles or like craft beer guys. Like I understand audiophiles, they're great and craft beer guys and foodies, like that's all good. But, but sometimes those people are so irritating in their presumptions of superiority. And this movie is made by foodies because Stanley Tucci is one. He has a book called Taste. He's written he, all about his his uh, you know Italian cooking his whole life. But all the foodie stuff in here is not to show off. It's to show the kind of joy people get from cooking and making food. I also think it's about one reason that people who are like that are irritating is because the thing that gives them pleasure is a rarity of experience 
And it's so difficult, right? Because you as a normal person, unless you're a sociopath, you want other people to be pleased. And this other person says, the thing that will please me is something that happened one time in my life when the conditions were absolutely perfect. And so now I don't want to tell you about perfection. I want to tell you about all the subtle deviations away from this experience that I thought would be perfect. It's like um, when, when Primo is sitting down with the barber and the barber's eating and telling him how good it is. And he says, you know, it might be a little dry, right? And, and right, there's there's nothing wrong on, on its face with perfectionism, but what it does is it, is it saps the joy. It makes, you, it makes you see the glass as 2% empty. And people don't know what to do with a person who thinks the glass is 2% empty when we all see it as 98% full. A hundred percent. And, and, and again, they, they make all of that a hundred percent, huh? They make all of that joy come through to the viewer too. Right. Because I, you know, when they have the big night, when they're waiting for Louis Prima, I, you know, one thing I was laughing to myself watching this again is who wouldn't want to be in that restaurant? Like who it's like, what you know, I just saw stop making sense again. And when you see stop making sense, all you think of is, is man, imagine having been there. Like who wouldn't want to be there. You don't even have to know a note of talking heads music to want to be there after you see that movie. And here it's the same kind of thing. Like it's supposed to be this big night and he has everyone from the neighborhood, which I love. He's got like, you know, the vegetable delivery guy, the Cadillac dealer, um, the flower uh, lady that Primo has a crush on, the priest, they're all there and they get the best meal of their lives. And we kind of, you know, have that vicariously. And I just love the whole idea that you never see in a movie is everyone's been in these situations where the chef has to keep stalling and the chef might be you at your own home. And because the cooking takes longer than you think and everyone just keeps drinking more until the point where they're doing the mamba and then and they're like okay we have to eat like we said thanksgiving was going to start at around four o'clock and then it's like 7 30 and your uncle's half in the bag and it's like um is that turkey done yet and, and 30 minutes 30 minutes we're gonna eat well it, it's it's like um if godot was filled with with true experience because i think that part of right part of part of beckett is showing the showing the emptiness or meaninglessness of life and what this is it's you're, you, things are not going to go as planned right you can't menu life but let me show you the rich banquet of experience while the thing that you're waiting for is ne never going to happen and the point is that they made this rich banquet of experience for this guy who's not going to show up. Like the question is, would he, would Primo and Segundo have done all that just for the people in the neighborhood? No, they wouldn't have done it. But those people in the neighborhood, they did. They left. I love when they're leaving at like at sunrise, and they're like, "That was pretty much the best the best night we ever had." So it was the it was the big night, but of course it wasn't in another sense. Welcome back. So of course, in part two, we talk about our key scenes or favorite moment. Dan, what stuck out for you? My moment is when Stanley Tucci punches Ian Holmes so hard that his head becomes detached and you find out that he's actually a robot. That's been, oh wait, that's- Wrong sorry, movie. Yeah. Wrong movie, sorry, that's alien. No, no, my moment involves in the very beginning when Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub are arguing because the woman wanted two starches and Stanley Tucci is trying to explain to him, like, you have to give people what they want. Like we actually run a restaurant. And this is my favorite joke of the whole movie is when Tony Shalhoub says, we can give them a, um, uh, uh, what you, what you call. And he's trying to say, it, and he goes, um, hot dog. We can give them a hot dog. And then, that is so funny because you don't expect it, but it reminds me of, you know, there's a line from uh, Mother Teresa says, you, you, you don't have to do great things. You should do simple things with great love. 
do simple things with great love. And I think that that applies absolutely in this movie, right? Both of these, like cooking food is very simple, but they do it with such love. Like, why would you want a hot dog? Why would you not want this risotto? When the woman complains, I don't see any scallops in it. I don't see any shrimp in it. Like, no, we, we, the see, you know, it's very corny, but the special ingredient really is love because when they cut that timpani and you, you watch them slice it and they say, is it too soon? And Tony, and he's like, we, we got to do it. We got to cut it now. And you see them like take, and it all holds together and it doesn't fall apart. You're like, oh, all the work that went into that. And the movie makes us love the food and it makes us love the characters too. But, but, but of course there's, there's a separation between, between aspiration and reality and what it is. It's the swinging door of the kitchen, right? Because, and right. Because when Secundo comes back into the kitchen and is, and is arguing with his brother to make it, he says, no, I want a confrontation. I'm going to come down there. I'm going to give her a piece. No, I, I need to talk to her. I need to talk to this. Right. And the, the swinging door swings open and he looks at her. You can see what she's wearing. Yep, her she's face, smoking. how she's sitting. Right. And then she's smoking. Exactly. And then the door swings closed. And he said, you didn't want to talk to her. And he says, she's a Philistine. <laughs> right. It was just, you know, I, I thought I wanted to talk to the lady in my head. Right. Right. But now that I see her, I don't want to talk to her. And she's thinking I wanted the food kind of as I ordered it off the menu. But what I ordered did not arrive. And so there's there's a mismatch between those two universes. And the only thing that controls them is a swing door. It's it's a very thin border between those two universes. So what's your moment? My moment is when Prima uh, Secundo is talking to Pascal in the office. He just asked him to borrow the money. Right. And, And he starts to talk to him about his theory of life which is you have to sink your teeth into the rear of life. And then, of course, he 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 does actually bite him when he turns around, right? He says, look at that picture. Who do you see? Humphrey Bogart. Look at that picture. Who do you see? Louis Prima, you know, who, whose name also means first, right? Number number one, right? And he's, and he's talking about giving people what they want is his theory uh, of life, which really means that he that he stands for nothing. But at the same time, he has everything that the that the brother could want because right he he's not negotiating with life he's just taking he's just taking what there is right and he makes his he makes his own opportunity and of course we find out what that opportunity means for everyone but his restaurant looks it looks like fun you're set up to think that that's fun right because when you walk through the first time everybody's laughing and the flashing lights but here's one thing that you notice when you like when you go back and watch that scene after you watch the big dinner which is that something that makes the big dinner at the end beautiful is the is it's one long table right and they they do incidental invitations to everybody normally when you invite somebody to something they say oh sure what time what day right but then they don't but then you know they don't show up right, right. And party parties miss people what this party does is it gets everybody at the same long table and when you watch Right. When you watch that scene again, what you notice is there's discrete areas in Pascal's restaurant. It's like this table, this nook, this booth. And so it's 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 discrete fun, which is in some way some kind a, a kind of cheap. It's 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 it somehow is actually what Primo thinks it is, which is cheap. It's it doesn't do the same thing. Right. Their restaurant is one uh, overall open space where everybody sits together, that's what makes the party possible. In fact, you couldn't actually have that party, right? It's not like he brings the experience of Pascal's restaurant into Paradiso. You can't bring that into Paradiso, into paradise, because you're either together or you're not in paradise. And I think that the movie makes that 
uh, super clear. And that's maybe one thing that doesn't necessarily work on the page or wouldn't be on the page, but definitely works visually when you see the restaurant, you're, right? You're set up to think this is what success looks like. And the movie, I think, does a really good job of redefining what it actually is. There's no question of what restaurant you'd rather eat at when you watch this movie, right? The Kinks have an album called Give the People What They Want, and that's like a, a smart alecky title for them because, of course, every time musicians don't give the people what they want, the people complain, play your old stuff. Here, Pascal's restaurant reminded me of the Chinese restaurant in the apartment. It's just a place where you go to kind of hide, and there's like those high back booths. So there's a sense that we're going to get these people in and out. Pascal's restaurant is kind of like a factory. It's kind of like um, people go there to pretend that they're in the restaurant in Goodfellas, but it's it's not the same as Primo and Segundo's restaurant because you don't see Ian Holm walk around fixing the napkins before they open the way Stanley Tucci does. You don't get to see all the backstage stuff where they have to do all this prep work before they open the door. And then he just stands there waiting for people to come in. Just like when you're a kid and you're standing by the picture window, waiting for people to come over your house. There's a sense that you're coming over to my house. And, and in Ian Holmes restaurant, there's not that sense at all. It's you're going to come in here and cycle through and that's how we're going to make the money. And do you remember what Primo says happens at his restaurant every night at the other, at Pascal's restaurant? He says it's rape. Yes, that's and, right. and, of, and it's supposed to be this super melodramatic moment about what a diva Primo is until you really until you see the party and then you rewatch the movie and you see all those little booths and you realize what he's talking about is he's taken something that's sacred. Right. And what he's done is he's he's rape. He's grabbed it. Right. He's he's bitten it on the rear of life, which which he says is his philosophy. That's what he, that's what he says to do. And then you really you think about it and you think, yeah, like there is something there is something when everybody eats discreetly that is being violated and it's it's not done. Welcome back. So in part three, of course, we always talk about the title or the ending or the key takeaways. Let's let's take it from there. Damn, what do you got? I got a lot of stuff. First is that. I don't think, and I love this script, and you said it works on paper, and far be it for me to, to be a pain in the neck here. But one thing that occurred to me this time watching it is we don't need the Ian Holm sabotage plot at all. I think, for maybe I can't articulate it right now, but I think it would have been better if Louis Prima just never showed up. And that when you find out the whole thing was engineered to crush the competition and from Ian Holm, I was like, all of a sudden he's like snidely whiplash. Like, you know, he's a blowhard. You know, he doesn't love food like the two brothers do. But I don't think, I, I think it would have been more like Godot and more true to life if you get all set to meet somebody who's famous and who's going to give the blessing to your restaurant or your podcast or something. And they, they just never show up but that's that's a minor thing i love the ending of the movie because i love the egg scene i love it when he sits there and makes the eggs so um i don't have a brother you don't have a brother but one of the things we learn in the straight story by david lynch is nobody knows you like a brother around your own age and i think that the end of this movie is so good you said before like tony shalhoub acts without speaking right his mustache does half the acting that's exactly what happens what guts to make eggs in real time in silence and just have you sit there and he puts his arm on him and they eat the eggs. They're not facing each other. They're both facing the camera. The third guy's sitting on the counter, the busboy, and they just eat. And I think that it, it, it reminds you that you don't need to talk all the time. They don't have to yap at each other as characters to talk about what just happened. They know what happened. We did it. We're done. 
and now we're going to move on. And I think that's a perfect way to do it because if you and I, we talk about the bank robbery and heist as our go-to thing. If you and I did this, it wouldn't be as good. If they told you and I to write that scene, we would make them start talking. But they said, no, just have them shut up and eat because that's what the movie's about, eating and what food does for us and what does for us as people. Okay, this movie ultimately is not is not what the viewer ordered. Nobody saw the trailer for this movie in 1996 and saw Tony Shalhoub's mustache and thought we're going to end with with omelets, right? And so, you know, like to to quote the philosopher Mick Jagger, you know, uh, you know, if you try sometimes, you might find you get what you, you need. Get what you need. Like right, that that's what that's what this movie ultimately. I think is because it's it's difficult to tell whether they've been a success or not. One of the elements that I enjoy in the movie is that Stanley Tucci's uh, relationship with Phyllis ultimately doesn't work out because he because he sabotages himself, right? And it's it's not just it's not one of these movies where they they have a right they have like a crazy this movie makes you nauseous stomach ache movie because every element has to go correctly and it's nobody's fault. Right. The, the fault is kind of evenly distributed between the brothers and and also um, Pascal and Gabriella and, and everybody all at the same time. But but you can't call but you can't call it a failure. Right. Because success is to make that is to make that night. Right. Food is food is the thing that keeps it together while everything is turning out not the way that you planned. And I think it's it's what's very difficult, what I think is really beautiful about this movie is the concept of doing, right, a slice of life in 48 hours is something anybody can do. What art is as a movie is to show a life or to show what life is in 48 hours and to flip that around. And I think that that's what this movie does beautifully and definitely serves its audience something that it didn't order, right? This movie is like the risotto. And so you start off watching the movie and you think, well, why can't you just eat it and accept it, accept it the way that the artist created it, right? And then you 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 think, okay, so there's no, there's nothing to save them. There's nothing to save this restaurant. He's really never going to see Phyllis again. Like this is, this is not what I ordered, right? They're going back to Italy. They're going back to Italy. This is not what I ordered, but sometimes you just have to kind of eat it and appreciate it. And I think that th- there, this is such a beautiful, a beautiful condensing of life in a, in a way that you wouldn't expect in, in the, the right. The movie's like about way more than food. The movie's about disappointment and community and family. And it's, it's not even necessarily Italian food. It really has nothing. It, it's not, a, it's not about food. It's, it's a, about the reason that we eat together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's exactly why we wait for somebody to get home before we all at dinner at the same time. But I love what you said about it being a success because the movie is a success because we we get it even if you know Louis Prima doesn't, even if Ian Holm doesn't, we get it, and that's and that makes us feel good even though it's a disaster for them entrepreneurially and financially. They still did have their big night, and I'll say like, but you, even the even the villainous Pascal is somehow not snidely whiplash. You know, he's playing the piano at the end, but he gets it because this is something that could never have happened at his restaurant. And he knows that. So thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about Big Night. You can go home and try to make a timpani if you want. Uh, Mike, how complicated did that look? Uh, I I don't have a rabbit, so I'm not going to try it. (laughs) You can follow us on X at 15MINFILM. You can also follow us where, Mike? Letterboxd. Follow us on Letterboxd. Let us know what to watch next, and we'll see you next time. 